0: Hi, this is Ellie Fishman, and this is part two on crankable liver disease. And we left off last time speaking about regenerating nodules. And regenerating nodules are a very complex subject, a lot of uh, breakdown into different categories with different schemes. But the important thing about regenerating nodules from a CT perspective and an MR perspective is the vascular lesions in a cirrhotic liver, most common in patients with bud chiari. The issue, of course, is, as in this case, is you see multiple vascular lesions. Is this a hepatoma or not? Remember, with cirrhotic liver, you worry about vascular lesions, as is hepatomal proven otherwise. These are really very vascular. You can see it here again. Now, what do you do? Well, here's venous phase, and this is Bud Chiari. You see the lack of venous pacification. Um, Well, you notice the lesions still are enhancing. They're not as bright as they were on the earlier phase, but you still can see them. But here's an interesting thing. What if I put the lesions side by side? You'll notice that the lesions are seen, and if you look at the lesion in the right lobe, the lesion actually, if you measure it, is larger on delayed phase imaging. And this is a very helpful thing to me, and that is that we think of most lesions, when you go from arterial phase to delayed phase imaging or venous phase imaging, lesions either stay the same or become smaller. They become, you know, typically isodense, dense and you don't see them, but you don't see lesions get larger. Well, the one exception in my experience is regenerating nodules. Hepatomas, which is the main concern, never get larger. They stay the same or become isodense, look smaller. When it looks larger, think regenerating nodules. Regenerating nodules are most commonly multiple. That can be helpful. But again, hepatomas can be multiple. So that's not going to be a perfect uh, finding. couple of references, Chung. More careful attention should be paid to large nodules in patients with micronodular cirrhosis because of the potential greater risk of malignancy. And small nodules should be followed in shorter intervals than large nodules. So again, um, small nodules, are of course, are less likely to be malignant, but that in and of itself is not really a great uh, finding because obviously um, you can have small hepatomas and you can pick them up at a time when they are resectable. So again... Um, it's an important point, but I don't think it's all that helpful to me. I mean, obviously, if I see a lesion that's 3 sonometers, I'm not thinking of regenerating nodule. I think you do consider regenerating nodules for the smaller lesions. But if something's 3CM, it's hepatoma until proven otherwise. And I'm not going to be messing around uh, just simply following that patient. Okay, what else can we look at? Well, let's look at some other things. Let's look at passive congestion. That's a very common diagnosis, and particularly we see it more commonly now with older patients. It's typically due to cardiac disease, and the usual issue is poor right-sided heart function, which can be due to congestive heart failure. That's probably number one. But you can see with constrictive pericarditis, tricuspid insufficiency, and right-sided heart failure in general. And in fact, it's important diagnosis because when diagnosed late, it's important to remember that cardiac cirrhosis may be irreversible even if cardiac function is improved. Now, what do we see? Classic thing we'll see is retrograde flow on injection into the IVC and hepatic veins by contrast. Now, I will say that if you see reflux, or retrograde flow, it doesn't mean you have passive congestion. Sometimes, even in very healthy younger patients, if you have a very forceful injection, you can see reflux. But I would want to be very careful, because when I see that reflux or retrograde flow, I'm thinking congestion. Of course, then you look for other findings. You'll typically see model enhancement of the liver due to hepatic congestion, particularly on early phase imaging, hepatomegaly, ascites, and periportal edema. So a very nice example. Look at the reflux in this case. There's more going into the liver than into the heart, but you can see everything's in the right side of the heart. You can see the poor cardiac function and a very, very impressive reflux. That's just a classic, classic example. And here's just a couple coronal views in that case to make the point. When you see this much reflux, this is never going to be a patient with simply a normal with a, some mild reflux because of fast injection. Here you have you definitely have right-sided heart failure. Very impressive. And again, this is the classic for the findings you're going to see in passive hepatic congestion. Just very nice imaging. Here's a combination of volume rendering and MIP showing it very nicely. Okay, what else? Bocchiari syndrome. I'll just touch on that. Uh, it's an important diagnosis. Seemingly, we don't see it as frequent as we used to in the past. It's also known as hepatic venoocclusive disease. What you're seeing is hepatic venous alpha obstruction, which may be global or segmental. Most commonly, it's global. It may be acute or chronic in nature. And as I mentioned before, regenerating nodules are in fact very common. And of course, the issue typically in these patients is that uh, separating these nodules from a hepatic tumor like hepatoma. In Bocchiari, in the acute phase, what we're typically seeing is early enhancement of the caudate lobe at central portion of the liver around the cava with decreased enhancement of the rest of the liver. So that's in the acute phase and the arterial phase. And then what you see is delayed enhancement of the periphery portions of the liver. And, and it's called this flip-flop phenomena. You'll also see narrow hypodense hepatic veins and IVC with dense walls. So typically, you have a fairly homogeneous enhancement of the liver, but what you're gonna see is very bright central and decreased early the periphery. It almost looks like artifacts sometimes, and that's why it is flip-flop phenomena, and as you get more chronic, you're not going to see the IVC hepatic veins, and that's when you tend to see regenerating nodules. So the earliest thing is these flow-related changes, and in chronic phase or late phase, it's more the lack of vascular opacification and the issues with hyperdense nodules or regenerating nodules. Now, Bocchiari we typically divided into primary and secondary types, with the primary type being a membranous obstruction of the hepatic venous outflow tract. And secondary causes, which are more common these days, range anywhere from chemotherapy or radiation therapy to hypercoagulability states to hepatic or extrahepatic tumors. So an example, very nice case of Budd-Chiari here, patchy enhancement of the liver. You can see the increased enhancement, relatively speaking, of the caudate lobe. You can see in this set of images which is a little bit later, venous phase, the more increased enhancement toward the periphery rather than centrally. You see a big caudate lobe. You don't see the hepatic veins. The IVC is patent. You do see that, but the IVC is slightly compressed. And here's another set of images. Again, the IVC is somewhat flattened. And again, the perfusion changes are very unusual. Remember, peripheral to central. Usually when we see perfusion changes it's more segmental due to tumor or just flow-related, but this classic appearance, a sort of flip-flop I mentioned before, is just this is a very nice example making that point. Now with Budd-Chiari, the spleen will often be dense, the spleen will be large, so it's something again to look at very carefully. Another example, Budd-Chiari syndrome. Again, look at the as is dilated, look at the lack of visualization of the intrahepatic IVC, patchy enhancement of the liver, model enhancement of the liver, there are some nodules present, Looks like fatty infiltration, liver one would describe. The liver is big, and here it is in a coronal perspective. Remember, we talk about hepatomegaly as being one of the things that happens in Budd-Chiari, But again, this very, very patchy enhancement. And this case, which is more chronic, we're getting the lack of vascular opacification, we don't see the hepatic veins, and we're getting the nodules present. And you can see in this case, particularly nicely seen on MIP imaging, is there are many nodules. And in fact, is that's very common, and that makes it easier to sort of say regenerate nodules. But you can see, they range in size from a couple of millimeters to two centimeters. So again, very, very important diagnosis. Now what else? A lot's been written recently about uh, inflammatory infectious disease in the liver, and here was an article by Mortelli a couple years back. Recent and technologic advances have enhanced the role of imaging in the detection, characterization, and management of infectious disease involving the liver. And that is indeed the case. So let's look at some examples. Liver abscess can be pyogenic, fungal, or amoebic in nature, it could be hydatid disease as well. There are many causes. Up to about 90% of abscesses are pyogenic with E. coli being the most common source in adults. And of course, clinical history is usually of help because patients will often have had a procedure. They may have had uh, s- recent surgery. They may be immunosuppressed. They may have had diverticulitis or appendicitis. Typically abscesses do not occur just out of nowhere. There usually is a history, now it may be hard to get the history. Patients febrile, you see the cystic lesion in this case, right lobe of the liver more commonly involved in the left. There are perfusion changes, this does not look like a simple cyst. There's a regular wall, there's some enhancement, and there are really markedly abnormal perfusion changes. And this was an abscess, this was an E. coli abscess. As I mentioned, um, in terms of uh, pyogenic abscesses and most abscesses, the most common in the right lobe of the liver. If you have an air fluid level, it's obviously diagnostic, but that rarely occurs. And we say the same thing in the spleen. If you're looking for an air fluid level, you're going to miss 85% of the abscesses. There is a cluster sign described. That's more commonly in patients who have an abscess secondary to ascending cholangitis. We have multiple clusters of low density around a ductal structure, but that's not the most common thing we'll see. And abscesses can be single or multiple. I will say in general, when you look at this list, Fungal abscesses, like candidiasis, the classic thing is multiple abscesses. Now, one of the things about fungal abscesses we'll talk about is it's often associated in immunosuppressed patient. They not only get liver abscesses, they get splenic abscesses. They may get renal abscesses. Parasitic infections you typically have a history. The patients are Machu Picchu, Peru, or they travel to Mexico on vacation. Or amoebic abscesses. They've been in third world countries. So there are a number of different things to consider. Now, I will make the point that at times an abscess can be confusing in the sense that the history and presentation can be very similar to malignancy. This patient had weight loss, was found on the street. Uh, You know, all the history pointed to malignancy. And we found this big liver lesion, and I said, this is probably a large tumor. It's necrotic. You can argue primary versus uh, metastatic. But this was biopsy, and this was an abscess. And so you can see the history was identical to a history of cancer, and the lesion didn't look all that different. But, you know, it's a big lesion, cystic components. You've got to be thinking about abscess. And when we talk about pyogenic abscesses, Hematogenous spread from the GI tract, descending cholangitis, or superinfection of necrotic tissue are all causes, and as we said a moment ago, E. coli is the most common agent. But again, look at the description of clinical presentation. Fever, right side abdominal pain, even weight loss, elevated LFTs that's the same history in clinical presentation for metastatic colon cancer, for example. Now, I mentioned before, fungal infections are often multiple, but pyogenic infections in the liver can be single or multiple. Most commonly, they're single. They may range from a few millimeters to several centimeters. Rim enhancement may occur, but again, uh, air bubbles are indeed uncommon. You can see a case like this. Um, This is a very unusual case, and this was a difficult diagnosis. This was a 25-year-old female who was febrile and couldn't quite figure out why. You see this lesion in the liver. Now I'll tell you well-defined arterial phase. It's also well-defined on venous phase. And I'll tell you this did not enhance through any of the phases. But it was solid. It didn't look like a tumor. She was a young girl. Well, this was biopsied. This was hydata disease. Now, hydata disease, she had done some traveling. Hydata disease is a parasitic infection. It's rare in North America, but in other parts of the world, indeed, it's very common. Particularly, it's endemic to the Mediterranean basin and other sheep-raising areas. Humans acquired from eating contaminated food. Eosinophil is very common. Now, the thing about Hidata disease most commonly... It will have calcification along the rim. 75% of hydatid cysts have calcification. But this patient we picked up very early in her disease process and things were not yet calcified. So something can be a very difficult diagnosis. If I see an abscess or suspected abscess, rim calcification, I'm always thinking hydatid disease. Now, amoebic abscesses are more common in right lobe, just like pyogenic abscesses. Again, common um in many parts of the world where the water supply is not as good low density now this girl was from uh, pikesville which is about 15 miles from hopkins in nice suburbia well she spent two weeks on spring break in mexico and you can see multiple low-density structures, rim-like lucency between normal liver and this lesion. You could think about a tumor, but when you watch it on late-phase imaging, it really is cystic, and this is that cluster sign we talk about, right? Multiple, looks like a cluster, like a four-leaf clover, or whatever those little things the Irish talk about are, but this is an abscess, and in fact, this was an amoebic abscess. Um, most common extra manifestation may be biases, more common, India, the Far East, Africa, and South America. So you travel to Mexico, you can get it. History is good. Patients are usually sick, high fevers, and of course this travel history, or living in one of the endemic zones, is very, very critical. CT finding, classically the cystic lesion with enhancing rim, zone of edema around the border of the lesion, and the lesions are usually solitary, but they can indeed be multiple. Another possibility, and this is a great case, you see, multiple low density lesions in the liver, but also in the spleen. I give you the history of the patient's immunosuppressed post bone marrow transplant. It's a very easy diagnosis, uh, very classic example of candidiasis. Now you could have other possibilities. It could be other source of infection beyond candidiasis, uh, other fungal diseases, but that's the classic appearance. Here it is on several additional 3D images. So very important diagnosis. Now there are other things we can think about that can actually simulate an abscess. Here's a patient, there are multiple low-density lesions in the liver, but when you look at this more carefully and you look at all the images, they're all at the periphery and they're wedge-shaped. Whenever we think wedge-shaped structures, we're thinking infarcts. Beautiful example of multiple infarcts in the liver. can be due to a number of causes. Septic emboli might be one cause, biopsy. Uh, seeding patient with a dental infection but just a beautiful example of multiple hepatic infarcts now you can see larger infarcts this is a patient with a liver transplant you can see the hepatic artery look at the CTA is occluded and look at the size of the infarcts in the liver so the infarcts can be very large in patients with um, hepatic infarcts post transplant often they may calcify later on Now, just a beautiful example. Now, the last thing I'll comment on is infarcts can become abscesses. So, for example, this patient was post-transplant, hepatic artery was occluded, infarction, and now infection. So, just a very large necrotic portion to the liver in a patient with a large abscess developing in an infarct. Now, what else can we talk about? Now, One of the things about infection and infarction and all of this inflammatory disease, it often can simulate a tumor, and I I showed you an example before, but let's look a little bit more closely at things that we can speak about, things that can simulate tumor, but are really not tumors, and there are a number of different things on this list, so why don't you think about this list, and let's pick it up next time in part three, and I'll see you then.